Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're having a good Sabbath. Brethren, I have a question for you. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? You know, that is the motto of the Boy Scouts of America, an organization that through the years has attempted to teach that value to young men to be prepared. The question for us today is, are we prepared? Are you and I developing the habit of good preparation, good planning for success, for happiness now, but more importantly, to be ready for the events that we see just ahead of us? I'd like to talk about that today. If you want a title, it's Be Prepared. Be Prepared. What are we to be prepared for? If you think about it, our whole lives are spent making plans and preparations all the time, aren't they? We're doing this constantly. We, we never stop doing it. Think about your life right now. What are you preparing for right now? As, as this week or the last few days or the last month, chances are you're making plans about something. They might be big plans. Uh, we heard about the, the wedding up north going on uh, this weekend. They might be a job change, a move, uh, getting an education. Or they might be daily little plans. We all have our to-do lists. We all have things that we have to do every day. Uh, what to prepare for a meal, what we'll do this weekend, etc. Our life is filled with planning. When my wife and I were first married, one of the first vacations we went on together, uh, my wife was aghast when I took out a pad and, and a paper and started writing down goals for our vacation. You know, <laughs> it, you know, she just didn't quite understand that concept. But uh, I, I thought we've got to have goals even when we're on vacation. Um, maybe that was a little extreme. But the point is, what are we planning and preparing for? We spend a lot of time doing it. We spend our whole lives doing it. At least if we want to accomplish anything, right? What are your plans? What are you preparing for? Young people, are you thinking about your future? Are you learning from your parents? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's go ahead and turn over there. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Really, uh, as teens, as children, that's, that's what our life is all about, isn't it? Preparing for adulthood, preparing for something to come later. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You know, some years ago, some young people didn't take much thought about their future because they thought Christ would return before they would reach adulthood. Many of those same young people now have children or grandchildren, right? They had to plan. Things happened. They reached adulthood, and time went on. What about you, young people? What if Christ doesn't return by the time you reach college age or marrying age? 
Will you be ready? Are you preparing for the future? And even if Christ doesn't come back by the time a young person reaches adulthood, isn't the growth and application preparation for Christ's kingdom anyway? In any, whatever happens, we need to prepare. Of course, this verse is also saying that learning to obey and love and relate to our parents is the greatest preparation of all. Verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, mothers, parents, do you have a plan for training your children? Now, maybe it's not you know, a detailed business plan or a financial plan or something as detailed as that. But do you have a plan? How are you going to relate to them? How are you going to accomplish a certain end result if you don't have a plan? What kind of environment do you want to have in your family? What kind of result do you want? Husbands and wives, do you sit down together and think about what you want to achieve? We have to. We have to if we want to think about the results. Verse 5, notice. What about on the job? Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of God, do, servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You know, in the workplace, we can think about planning how to be a better employee, right? How to do our jobs better, how to... Uh, prepare for the future, how to be more effective. What are your plans? What are you preparing for? Are we preparing for anything? Or are we just coasting? Are we just drifting? Are we just being blown about from one thing to another? Verse 9, what about bosses? What about those who are leaders in directing other people? Verse 9, you masters do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. If you are an overseer, how do you relate to others? Are you studying on how to relate better? Do you have a plan on how to become a better overseer? You see how just in a couple of minutes we are looking at all kinds of different areas of our life that need plans. They need preparation. You know, Mr. Meredith has from time to time encouraged us to be prepared for emergencies. Proverbs 22 and verse 3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. We need to be ready for disasters, don't we? No, we can't uh, somehow sort of uh, avoid or, 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 or think through how to protect ourselves from the tribulation just by physical means. But at the same time, we are encouraged to set aside food and water and, and be prepared for hard times. The Boy Scouts had the motto, be prepared. It's a way of thinking. Brethren, is that our way of thinking? Is it something that we do? Is it the habit and mindset and character trait that we have developed? 
Or are we just coasting? You know, one of the enemies of being, being prepared is simply to fill our lives with distractions to the point that we don't think about preparation. There was an article in the Sacramento Bee a few years ago that brought this out, <clears throat> written by a writer named Fahiza Alim. And this writer wrote, Do you spend several hours a day surfing the Internet or sitting on the couch watching games on ESPN? Is your house over-decorated and your closet so jammed with clothes that you've forgotten what you own? Is there always a time-consuming project underway in the garage or in the yard? Are you a procrastinator? You may be an, you may be an addict, not the kind of addict who breaks the law or suffers physical withdrawal pains, Instead, you may be the kind who allows compulsive behavior to rob you of the chance to reach your full potential or achieve your goals. What about us? Are we an addict to distractions that are robbing us from achieving our goals now and robbing us of the preparation for the big goal? And that, of course, is Christ coming back and entering his kingdom going on. He says, Twelve years ago, author Judith Wright gave a name to these often unconscious, time-stealing, recurring behaviors, soft addictions. She says these seemingly harmless behaviors consume our time and energy and take away from our quality of life. Unlike hard addictions such as alcohol or drugs, soft addictions are seductive in their softness, says Wright. They are pleasurable things such as emailing, talking on the phone, or playing solitaire. Plain solitaire can be dangerous. <clears throat> the danger in such seemingly harmless behaviors became apparent to Wright in her work as a life coach over the past two decades. As I was coaching other people, I realized that this is blocking people from having more of what really matters. Intimacy, consciousness, creativity, and peace of mind. Harmless diversions and yet can whittle away our time and rob us of preparing for important things and the most important thing. She continues, New technology offers even more diversions and possibilities, Wright says. The very advances that promise us more time are often the things that we use to aimlessly fill our time. Isn't that true? One reader who responded to a recent query in the Sacramento Bee is an example of such behavior. The Sacramento woman wrote a long and anguished email about her soft addiction to the computer and chat rooms. The addiction started out five years ago. I found chatting at these discussion forums soothed my anxious, disorganized brain. I was bored and lonely. Chatting online made it so I could put off dealing with my child, the dishes, the laundry, the yard. I can imagine only a little of what I might have if I did not waste so much time in front of the computer, put 12 years of photos into albums, redecorate every room in the house several times over, plant and enjoy a vegetable garden, learn to sew, take children hiking, biking, visiting, learn a language together, walk the dog, make new friends. The first step in ridding herself of her time-wasting activity is to make what Wright calls the One Decision, capital O, capital D, the first step in her eight-step program outlined in the book. The one decision is the decision to live a life of planning and preparing instead of just allowing things happen to us. Brethren, what about us? Isn't it true that time can just flit away? 
and then it's gone. Think about your life as I think about mine. What are the things that we have done? What time have we lost? And we can't go back. And can we learn for the future? Can we develop the habit of planning and being prepared? Using our time in a better way, perhaps. You know, there's never a time when we stop planning and preparing for the future, is there? There's always something ahead. There's always something off into the future that we need to be preparing for. Let's turn over to John chapter 14 and verse 1. John chapter 14 and verse 1. It's interesting how much this mindset, this one decision mindset, is, is a part of God's mindset of planning and preparation. It's part of His thinking. In particular, planning and preparing for His children to enter His kingdom. Isn't really in one sense the whole Bible the story of God's plan for man and how He's preparing for man to enter His family? Notice in John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14. Christ said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions or offices. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What has Jesus Christ been doing for the last 2,000 years, brethren? Is He just kind of whittling away time? twiddling his thumbs, waiting for the day to come when he'll return? Just killing time? Kicking back? Well, he's doing a lot. I mean, he's fulfilling prophecy. He's overseeing the rise and fall of nations. Um, he's running the world. Yeah, some fairly big things, right? But you know he's also, what? Preparing for us to enter His kingdom. It's on His mind. He said, I will go and prepare a place for you. What has He been doing for 2,000 years? He's been preparing a place for us. He's been getting ready for us to enter His kingdom. Brethren, if that has been on His mind for 2,000 years, how much is it on our mind for the last two days? Or the last two months? Or the last two years? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. The Father is focused on this as well. How much are we focused on it? Yes, preparing and planning in our life now, it makes things work better. It makes us happier. But most importantly, it prepares us for planning and preparing for the big thing. And that, of course, is our birth into God's very family. Matthew chapter 20 and verse, and verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Well, she was planning for it. Not exactly in the way that we would you know, think was a good thing, but she was thinking about it. 
But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So in other words, the boys were there too. You know, they were, they were right there. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Is the Father involved in preparing for the kingdom? Yes. The Father and the Son. They've been thinking about it for a long time. In fact, Matthew 25, verse 34 says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How long has God been making plans for us to enter His kingdom? Not just 2,000 years, but from the very beginning of the world. How much is planning and preparing for the future a part of God's mindset? It's crucial, isn't it? It's the way He thinks. How much of it is part of our mindset, brethren? Especially in relation to what's coming ahead. The day of the Lord, the tribulation, Christ's return, and our chance to be changed or resurrected and be born into the family of God. How much is that a part of our our planning? Can we get a little bit more of that mindset, of God's mindset? We need that. We need that. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. Be prepared. We need to be prepared. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. Do we love God? Of course we do. If we love Him, then we're going to be preparing. Because He's preparing for us. We're going to be ready. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So, we need to be prepared. Why do we need this mindset of good preparation? There are many reasons, there are many things we could talk about. But for the sake of the discussion today, we'll just look at a couple of them. Why is good planning and preparation important and necessary? Number one, Number one, preparation brings confidence and peace. Preparation brings confidence and peace. Would you like to have more confidence and peace in your life? You know, good preparation does that. Anyone who's ever been in a spokesman's club knows that, right? Gentlemen, think back to a speech that you gave that you weren't prepared for. Are your hands getting a little cold and clammy right now? You can remember the feeling, right? It's burned into your brain. You don't do it too many times because 
It's not comfortable. Good preparation gives us peace and confidence. Do we always wait until the last minute? Do we have a lifetime membership to the Procrastinator Society? Or have we just not gotten around to signing up? <laughs> Do we thrive on adrenaline and deadlines? You know, sometimes we, those are necessary. It may be exciting, but it's not very peaceful, and it can be downright distressing. Notice in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, <clears throat> we're preparing for a lot of things. Spokesman's Club, careers, school, hobbies, personal growth. You know, all of those things are, are important. But when we look at what's going to happen in the future, there's going to be a time when Christ is returning. How are we going to face that day? Are we going to face it with relief and joy and excitement or fear? It's all based on how we prepare. Luke chapter 21 and verse 25. Luke chapter 21 and verse 25. It says, There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Would you say that that's not a positive response to Christ's return? Men's hearts failing them from what? From fear and the expectation of what's happening. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. For those who are prepared, it's a relief. It's a wonderful time. Because all the years and all the preparations leading to that point, and our future hinges on that point, that moment, when we enter God's kingdom. And now we are sons of God. We are born into His family and everything changes. We're in a totally new world. If we're prepared for that moment, it'll be wonderful. Notice in Luke chapter 12 and verse 42. Luke chapter 12 and verse... 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed or happy or peaceful or content or confident is that servant whom his Lord when he comes shall find so doing the person who was preparing, the person who was planning, the person who was at the plow, the person who was looking for the future and planning for it. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But and if that servant says in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, he shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. Now you know this. when we look at this, it, it, it doesn't appear that we have to consciously say my Lord delays His coming, right? We don't have to say those words to fall into that category. We can do it by our actions. 
we can do it by our so, allowing so many distractions fill our life. And it, we just, by our actions, we show that we aren't really, it's not that important to us. We think he's delaying his coming. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him, and in an hour when he's not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. We must prepare. There are wonderful things coming, but we've got to be prepared for them, right? You know, childbirth can be a frightening thing, a difficult thing. There's discomfort, there's pain involved in labor and delivery. Now, mind you, I'm not speaking from personal experience. <laughs> this is what people have told me. In, in my uh, observations, um, my wife has a book entitled What to Expect When You're Expecting. And it's kind of an interesting book. It talks about some things. It's interesting that the day of the Lord is compared to the travail of childbirth. Let's just look briefly at Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 4. Now I know there's a wrinkle here because in this case the, the man is, it appears, is going through the pain of childbirth, but the point is that this is used as a parallel. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 4, it says, And these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah, for thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling and of fear and not of peace. Ask you now and see whether a man does travail with child. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail and all faces are turned into paleness? Why? Because that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The day of the Lord is compared to childbirth. Now, that can be kind of a frightening thing because it's difficult, isn't it? But there are some interesting parallels that we can draw that are encouraging as well. Let me quote from this book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. It's not one we normally quote from in sermons, but it uh, <clears throat> has some interesting things to say. The foreword, why this book was born. It says, I was pregnant, which... About one day out of three made me the happiest woman in the world, and for the remaining two, the most worried, she said. And then she goes on listing all the worries that she had through her pregnancy. Where could I turn to find reassurance that all would be well? Not to the ever-growing stack of pregnancy books piled high on my bedside table. When my symptoms, problems, or fears were discussed, it was usually in an alarming way which only compounded my concern. I certainly couldn't find relief for my worries by opening a newspaper, flipping on the radio or television, or browsing through magazines. According to the media, threats to the pregnant lurked everywhere. The air we breathed, in the food we ate, in the water we drank, at the dentist's office, in the drugstore, even at home. Was I and my husband Eric, who worried about everything I worried about and then some, alone in my fears? Far from it. Worry, according to one study, is one of the most common complaints of pregnancy affecting more expectant women than morning sickness and food cravings combined. Ninety-four out of every hundred women worry about whether their babies will be normal, 
and 93% worry about whether they and their babies will come through delivery safely. Thus, out of our concerns, what to expect when you're expecting was born. It is dedicated to expectant couples everywhere and written with the hope that it will help fathers and mothers to be worry less and enjoy their pregnancies more. Now, what was the value of this book? What was the need of this book? For those who have gone through it to explain to others, yes, it's hard, but you will get through it. To answer the questions, to give them encouragement, to give them planning, to give them preparation. Preparation, good preparation, brings confidence, doesn't it? We already talked about that. Brethren, don't we have a book that gives us confidence? We could call this what to expect as you're waiting to be prepared for the family of God. This book right here. What to expect. We know we'll have trials. We know we'll have difficulty. But we also know that God will get us through. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Isn't that one of the things that we see from cover to cover about how God will help us to accomplish the goals He has set for us? He's prepared His kingdom. He says, yes, things will be difficult, but He also says, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Isn't it true? The more we saturate our minds with this book, the more confidence and peace we have about the future. Have you ever noticed that? When you get away from this book, you start to be more fearful. You start to worry more. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. God doesn't want us to be filled with fear and worry about the future. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to have hope. He wants us to be courageous. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. <clears throat> Excuse me. He wants us to face the future with boldness and confidence, even though, though there are difficult things ahead. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confidence of confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Brethren, how bold are we? How much confidence do we have right now? Do we need to draw more near to God? Do we need to prepare more? Do we need to saturate our minds more with this book so that we can come before Him boldly? Because good preparation brings confidence. Another thing that it does is it creates anticipation. Good preparation creates 
anticipation. Have you ever noticed that? The more you prepare for something, the more you focus on a goal, the more excited you get about it. You ever seen that? Um, sometimes even discs, at first we dread them and we kind of avoid them. We kind of take, keep them at arm's length. But once we face them, once we go for it and we start preparing, we find, you know, it's not that bad actually. And we start putting work into it and we start building anticipation for it. We start, this is going to be exciting. It's not as scary as what I thought. Isn't it the same about entering God's family? The more we prepare for it, the more excited we get about it. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Are we thinking about, as we are thinking about God's family, the more we think about what it's going to be like, the more real it becomes, the more excited we are, the more anticipation there is. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And when we let that sink into our brains, it's awesome, isn't it, brethren? When we think that we're going to be like God, those of us who are physical flesh walking around on this earth, we're going to be like God. What an amazing thing. For we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. Focusing on the goal and preparing for it spurs us on, creates momentum, helps us to overcome. We want to go there. We want to get there. We want to accomplish the goal. It builds anticipation, even though there are difficult things along the way. It helps us get through those difficult things. Brethren, how much are we preparing for our entrance into God's family? When my wife was pregnant with one of our children several years ago, I remember looking at her one day and saying, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing our baby because it doesn't seem real until the baby comes out and then you see it and it's there and you're holding it and, and they're born. She, you know, I thought she's really going to appreciate how much I'm looking forward to the baby born. She looked at me and she said, what are you talking about not real? I've been carrying this baby for nine months. I feel it everywhere I go. It kicks me in the stomach. It's with me when I'm lying, when I'm walking, when I'm at the store, when I'm at the market. It's real to a mother, isn't it? To a father, it's not quite the same. The point is that by the time the baby is born, the mother has a relationship with that baby already, right? There's already an emotional bond. She has been carrying that baby. She's been with that baby all the time. All the time. Never a break. And that creates anticipation that a father in that sense doesn't experience in, in the exact same way. 
Brethren, what does planning and preparation do for us? The more we think about, yes, our own goals, our job, our hobbies, those things, yes, those are important, but the main thing that we're talking about today is our preparation for the kingdom. The more we think about it, the more we talk about it, the more we talk to God about it, the more we walk with God about it. You know, by the time we just read, we're going to see God, right? But when we see God, are we not going to already know Him? There's going to be an emotional bond already there, right? Because we have been walking with Him. We have been talking with Him. We have already known Him. It won't be the first time we'll ever been acquainted with Him or introduced to Him. We talk to Him every day. The more we do that, the more anticipation it creates for that day. Brethren, how much do we see talking and walking with God every day as, as crucial to building anticipation for our entrance into His family? That's preparation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. Romans chapter 8. In verse 22, are we kind of kind of okay with entering God's family, or do we groan for it? Isn't that the word that Paul used? Do we yearn for it, or are we? Yeah, I'd like to be there. Yeah, there is kind of a difference, isn't there? Romans chapter eight, verse 22. For we know. The whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. You notice again the, the metaphor with childbirth leading up to Christ's return and His kingdom being set up on earth. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the sonship to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. You know, the more we are preparing for the kingdom, the more we're going to yearn for it and groan for it and desire it and be ready for it and think about it. But we have to prepare for it. So how can we prepare for our future? What are some things we can do now to help us prepare for Christ's return with confidence and anticipation? Well, again, there are a lot of things that we could talk about. We'll, we'll just discuss a few. Number one, number one, prepare by being a pillar. Prepare by being a pillar. We read in Revelation that we are to be pillars in the kingdom of God, right? In the temple of God, we're going to be pillars. But how grounded and settled are we today? How much of a pillar are we today? Not just waiting until then to be a pillar, but how much of a pillar are we today? Notice in 1 Samuel chapter 7, our training to be pillars starts now, not just at the resurrection. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse... Verse 1. This is breaking into the story of 
of the ark and, and David and how they... Uh, some of the things that happened pertaining to it. Verse 1, Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts... Then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were still oppressing the Israelites. The ark was not yet brought back. And they were mourning. And what did Samuel say? What was the real preparation they could depend on? turning from their idols, turning with all their hearts to God, preparing their hearts to serve God. Now the interesting thing about this word prepare here is it it essentially, the root word essentially means to stand up, to be erect, to be perpendicular, upright. Uh, It's the same word used to describe how the pillars that Samson put his hands on were bearing up the temple of the Philistines when he made made it fall. So, in a, sen- in a sense, he was saying, look, be a pillar. Prepare your heart to seek God. Stand up for something. Brethren, how do we prepare for the hard times ahead? By standing for something right now, right? By standing for what we believe in right now. Not waiting for later. What does a pillar do? It bears under under strain. It bears under weight. Are we standing for the truth right now? Can we be counted on to stand for something? Are we pillars today? You know, a pillar is firmly anchored in a foundation as well. Notice in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Part of the strength of the pillar is making sure that it's on a solid foundation. What is our foundation? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Of course, the parable of the, uh, the house on the, on the, on the rock... In the house on the sand. Verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great or complete was its fall. How do we prepare for the future? By standing up for what we know we need to stand up for and by sinking our foundation deep. You know, when this parable reminds me, of when I was in high school, a group of us worked at a national park in the Tucson area. And one project for the summer we had was to erect a barbed wire fence along the southern border of the Saguaro National Monument. We worked our way along, pounding the posts in, siding them up, stringing the, the barbed wire on there. 
you know, it was real easy to pound fence posts in, these metal posts into sand. It was great. I mean, we could crank those out in about three, three times and it's in. But every once in a while, we would come up to a huge outcropping of rock. And we would have to put the fence on that rock. So we would have to lug back this, this big uh, drill, gas-powered drill, a rock drill. And so we'd carry that at about a quarter of a mile, and then we'd pound into the rock. We'd drill into the rock. And it would rattle your teeth. It was, it was hard work. But once that hole was drilled and we put that fence post in, it never moved. The ones in the sand, you get a strong rain. The sand can be gone very easily. Brethren, what about us? You know, it took more time to bring in the drill, to drill that hole in solid rock, many times more time than just pounding in a a fence post into sand. But isn't that a parallel with our time and effort and thought that we are putting into our relationship with God, our prayer and our study? How deep are we sinking our foundation? Are we tackling the difficult decisions right now? Are there tough decisions that you need to face right now? that are very difficult. Will you, will I, stand up and be a pillar right now? Because that's how we prepare for being a pillar in the future. That's how we prepare for Christ's return. Number two. Number two, prepare by staying hitched to the work of God. Prepare by staying hitched to the work of God. How do we prepare for the future How will we be ready when Christ returns to enter the family of God? Well, by doing the work today. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And not throwing off that yoke. 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates, and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure, and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians. And those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. You know, David was not allowed to build the temple, was he? And yet he stayed hitched to the work, even to his death. Circumstances changed. He wasn't able to do it in a certain way, but he kept going. You know, our roles may change over time. At one point in our life, we may be, for example, supporting the work financially. Maybe at another time in our life, we don't have the means, and we're retired, and so we don't have as great as a means to support it. But maybe that's time when we have more time to pray for the work 
whatever we're doing, we have to stay hitched to the work, don't we? Or maybe getting more involved in the local congregation, helping out wherever we can. Many ways that we can be involved. The key is not to stop. And that helps us prepare for our entrance into God's family. What about all of us? Are we hitched to the work? Well, we are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Notice in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. It's interesting what the role of Elijah was when we think about this in the first Elijah, well, the John the Baptist, and then, of course, the end time Elijah. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How are we to be prepared for Christ's return? Well, part of that is to keep our hand to the plow, right? To keep doing the work. You know, there's even a parallel with childbirth here. What do the experts say that one should do when labor is approaching? At one time, complete bed rest was recommended, right? For, for weeks. Uh, don't move. That's the best way to prepare. That's not what they say today, at least, again, my understanding. Uh, today, more recently, we understand that an expecting mother should go ahead, do the chores, move, do light, uh, you know, not overexertion, but, but uh, light chores, go for walks, do things. That movement actually helps prepare for the labor. That's what they say. Uh, before the birth of our first child, my wife and I went to one of these classes that helped prepare you for, for birth. And During one session, the teacher asked a trick question. She said, how many of your husbands, when your wife is sitting on the floor, how many, how many of you, when she wants to get up, you reach down and help her up? You, you, yeah, very chivalrous, you know. And of course, we all raised our hands, you know. Yeah, yeah, we do that. We're good husbands. Any self-respecting husband uh, eagerly would. And she said, no, that's wrong. You should let her get up by herself. And, of course, we were shocked. But um, then she said that the exercise of getting up by herself is good. So I was very careful to implement that the rest of the time and let her get up by herself after that. Now, the point is that she was explaining that some movement is actually good and prepares the baby for eventually coming. As they talk, as they sometimes say, you know, this is um, sometimes just before birth, there's a desire to clean the cabinets and clean the floor and, and that sort of thing. And that movement, some light work actually as again, the experts say, can help bring on labor and delivery. Isn't it interesting, in light of what we are doing, are we to be, as we know that Christ is coming soon, are we to be sitting back? Is it time for a complete bed rest, brethren, for Christians? Is it time to kick back and, and just wait, and you know we don't want to exert ourselves? Of course not. 
Again, a parallel with childbirth. What prepares us for the future? Helping, being involved, being a pillar, but also being involved in the work. It's healthy for us that we're not just sitting around doing nothing while we wait for Christ. Another element in preparing is watching and praying. Watching and praying. We know that. Luke chapter 21 and verse 30. Luke chapter 21 and verse 30. Again, we're just going through some things that are are God's mindset of how He prepares and plans and thinks about the future. This is an incredible event that's going to happen very soon. How long has He been planning for it? How long has He been thinking about it? And it's right ahead of us. We don't know how far away. But how much of our mind is on it? Because it's been on His mind a long, long time. How do we prepare? Watch and pray. Luke chapter 21 and verse 30. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves, summer is now near. So like you likewise, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. We need to be aware, right? Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Be alert. Be on guard. Be wary. Be awake. Don't fall asleep, he's saying. Watch the signs. You know, we have the booklet, 14 Signs Announcing Christ's Return. It explains that. Keep up with our prayer. Keep up with our study. Meditate. Be thinking about these things. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. When we know it's coming... We need to watch for the signs. That helps us prepare. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. He was wary. He was watching. He was listening to the warning. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You notice that? He prepared. He did something because of what he, the warning signs he saw. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was watching the signs, not just for a few months or years, but decades. And isn't it interesting that childbirth, again, is very similar. <clears throat> As you get closer to the time of delivery, you know it's coming. The signs are there, right? Ladies who have been through it, Gentlemen who have kind of been through it, you know. It's getting closer. You can tell the signs. You don't know exactly what day it will occur. So you have to be ready. Today, mothers are advised to have a birthing plan ahead of time. You write out the instructions for a doctor or midwife attending. You don't wait until the labor starts to write it out, any instructions you have for them. You put it down ahead of time. If you're having the baby at a birthing center or a hospital, you pack ahead of time. You put your bags by the door. You don't wait until 
the time to go to pack your bags. That's what they say. My wife did that, and, and she affectionately called her bag her flea bag. <laughs> it was her fleeing bag. But you get, it, you get it done ahead of time. That's preparation, isn't it? Because you don't know when it will happen. Again, the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, says this. What to take to the hospital or birthing center. Though you could show up with just yourself and your insurance card, traveling that light to the hospital or birthing center probably isn't the best idea. Pack your bags early so you won't be turning the house upside down for your favorite CD when the contractions are coming five minutes apart with as many or few of the following things as you'd like. And then it lists all kinds of things a person might take. Several copies of your birthing plan, a radio or a CD or cassette player, a camera and film. You know, you take a picture. You know, you're not going to remember to take a camera when, it, when it's time to go. Put it in the bag. A watch or clock with a second hand for timing contractions. You know, I, this was my department when we had our children. I was really, I had my yellow pad, I had my clipboard, I had my pen, and my watch, and I was, I was really good at that. <clears throat> at, at one point, my wife said, "Okay, it's, it's, we know it's coming. Just get to the hospital." You know, so it wasn't timing lost its effectiveness after a while. The book lists other things. Cards, a puzzle, or whatever diversions will keep you from focusing too much on the labor. A pillow of your own to make you feel comfortable. A toothbrush, toothpaste, toiletries. You know, very practical stuff, but if you don't take it, it's less comfortable to be there, right? A couple of sandwiches or other snacks for your coach so he won't have to leave your side in search of sustenance. This is very important. If you forget anything else, don't forget food for the husband. That's very, I, I can vouch for that. A list of phone numbers of family and friends to call. A phone card or calling card number or cell phone. Now, you, know, you wouldn't think of all these things, but you'll need it when it happens, right? A going home outfit for the baby. Infant car seat. That, that was what was shocking. You know, you're, the baby's coming and you don't have, now they're, they're required, of course, these at this time, infant car seats. You don't have a car seat for months and months and months. All of a sudden, now you, you go home with a car seat. You got to think that through. Most hospitals will not leave with the baby. Uh, will not let you leave with the baby unless he or she is safely strapped into an approved rear-facing infant car seat. Now, what's the purpose of preparing these things ahead of time? The reason is there's a point within a couple of weeks before delivery. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But there's a point when a mother is ready and the baby could come any time, right? It could be in two hours. It could be in two weeks. How do you prepare for something with that disparity of time? Where you have to go in two hours or two weeks. The only way to prepare is to always be ready, right? To have your stuff at the door. Brethren, what about us? Isn't that what we are being told about Christ's return? We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know exactly when it's going to come. So what do we do? We have to always be ready. Notice in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 25. How can you possibly prepare for something 
The Apostle Paul thought it would come in his day. Almost 2,000 years have gone by. How do we handle that? the kind of time frame we're looking at? We have to always be ready. Are we ready now? No, we don't think it's not going to come tomorrow or the next day. But are we ready? Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Brethren, now is the time to prepare, isn't it? Isn't that the lesson of this parable? The time to prepare is not when He's here. It's too late if we haven't prepared by then. The time to get serious and prepare no matter what age we are, to stand up for what we need to stand up for, to be a pillar, to lay a foundation, is right now. Are we doing that? That's the point. Are we ready? Are we using God's Spirit to grow and overcome? Are we forgiving one another right now? Are we conquering ourselves right now? Our pride, our vanity, our lust, our greed, all of those things right now. Are we walking with God right now? Are we seeking what He wants in our life right now? Because if we're prepared, we will be ready when Christ returns. We'll still be surprised. You ever think about that? When Christ comes, we'll still be surprised because we're not told when He's coming. But we'll be ready. Because He'll come suddenly. Notice in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Are you prepared? Am I prepared? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy. He who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Brethren, there are encouraging words for those who prepare, aren't there? We don't have to go through the pain and anguish that it says the world will go through. But we have to prepare in order to not be in that category. I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have. No one will take your crown. 
You ever notice that when he says, Behold, I come quickly, is he telling us when he's coming or how he's coming? Yes, we know that Christ is coming soon. We know it's just around the corner. We know the signs are definite signs. We know it's soon. But that doesn't seem to be the question this statement is answering. He's saying when he comes, it will be quick. It will be unexpected. It will take people by surprise. For the world, it will be like a snare. But for those who are yearning and groaning and waiting, it will be a relief. The last thing, as we are preparing and planning for God's kingdom. Number four, eliminate distractions and time wasters. What is in your life and what is in my life that is a distraction and a time waster? that is keeping us from really preparing for what's important. There are a lot of exciting things to do and a lot of good things to do, but sometimes we must eliminate the good for the sake of the better, right? Simplifying our life, like we read in that article before. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Our society presents so many things for people to spend their time on. They don't produce anything of value. that are a time waster. And we can get caught up in the very same thing, and we do, don't we? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Distractions, sins are time wasters that drag us down and crush our resolve and our faith and our confidence and our anticipation. They discourage us. They are depressing. They shatter our momentum and they will keep us from God's kingdom if we don't overcome them. But the more we overcome, the more we grow, the more we develop, the more inspired and excited we are, and the more we anticipate our future, the more we're going to be ready for it. What are we filling our time with? Think about it. Sometimes take out a pen and paper, like I did on that vacation. I wanted to set some goals for my vacation. Well, take out a pen and paper and, and write down how are we spending our time? What are we doing with our life? Are we wasting time? Analyze where we are and where we're going. Sometimes writing a journal can be helpful. Thinking through what is clouding our mind and what is our focus and do we need to get rid of some things so we can refocus on what's important. Well, brethren, we know what's coming. We know difficult and hard times are ahead. But just as with childbirth, the dark times end with a joyous time, don't they? We've been blessed with children, and, and it really has struck me how it's just incredible the way that childbirth and the whole process is truly an emotional high. On the, on the one hand, the, the difficulty reaches a peak, and yet... When the baby is born, the exuberance is a peak of your life. 
And what an overwhelming moment that will be when we are granted entrance into God's family, newly born spirit beings, and it's not that far away. Are we preparing for it? Notice in John chapter 16 and verse 21, and we'll conclude there. John chapter 16 and verse 21. The words of Christ to his disciples just before his death. And he compared the trial that he was going through, going to go through, with a woman in labor. And the difficulty, and yet the exaltation after it's all completed. John 16, verse 21. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Brethren, let's get ready for what's coming. Let's prepare, let's have the mindset of be prepared, of planning, of preparedness in our lives now. For our jobs, for our families, for our marriages, for our hobbies, for our education, all of those things. But more importantly, so that we can face this day, not with fear, but with faith and joy. When we are finally granted to be born into the very family of God. Let's be pillars now. Let's watch and pray. Let's do the work. Let's eliminate distractions. Let's be prepared.